Hello from Clio Cloud Conference 2016 in Chicago, Illinois. I'm Lawrence Coletti. I'm Ken Adams. And we're on the road with Legal Talk Network. I'm with Ken Adams. He's joining us here at Clio Cloud Conference. He presented an event called... Traditional Contract Drafting is the Worst. Is it truly the worst? Well, yes, it is. Um, If you're looking to actually uh, accomplish transactions in uh, in an effective manner, in a way that avoids dispute, uh, then yes, it is the worst. (laughs) It's the worst. Okay. Well, Ken, before we get started, let's learn a little bit about you. Where do you work? What do you do? Let's see. uh, I was a foot soldier in the big law world when starting about 20 years ago I figured you know hey why don't I explore the building blocks of contract language rather than just doing deals and that started taking more and more of my attention uh, till it reached a point 10 years ago when I stopped practicing law and devoted myself full-time to my to my grand passion for contract language as pathetic as that might sound uh, so now um, It's my livelihood. I roam the world giving seminars. They used to be Chicago this month, New York next month, but now it's, hey, it's Singapore, Sydney, Copenhagen. Who'd have thunk it? Be a contract nerd and see the world. You're trotting the globe doing some contract drafting. Um, Yes, giving seminars because basically uh, uh, people doing contracts in English the world over face exactly the same issues. So, you know, I might go to... I might be in Shanghai, but uh, it's uh, alarmingly similar to being in San Francisco talking about contract drafting because, yes, we're in China, but people have the same issues. I engage with people the world over who are wrestling with the same stuff. And then I also have, uh, I consult with companies looking to improve their contracts and their contract process, and I write stuff, including uh, my book, A Manual Style of Contract Drafting, uh, published by the American Bar Association. Well, excellent. Well, let's cut into it. So let's talk about your speaking session here at Clio Cloud. Uh, you know, just give us the 50,000 foot and we'll, we'll get into it from there. Um, I was pleased to have been invited here uh, to, as a kind of sideline to Clio's main occupation at this, at this conference. But uh, what I did was simply introduce people to the notion that traditional contract language is dysfunctional. We discussed why why we care about that, what explains the dysfunction, and then what can we do to fix it? Well, let's start with the dysfunction. Why is it dysfunctional? Well, in terms of the why, I mean, uh, well, it's it's a matter of a mass of detail. uh, Just looking at the building blocks of contract language, how people try and express what they want to express. And generally, uh, there's no... uh, there's no short way of analyzing it. It's just, it has involved 20 years worth of just going through the building blocks, the, and the words and phrases by the hundreds, and seeing what works and what doesn't. And the traditional choices generally don't work. And with the result that you have the, 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 the cumulative effect of all those bad choices that are perpetuated by copy and pasting Word documents, uh, creates a complete morass uh, that, that just uh, delays understanding and, and prevents understanding and results in, uh, so you waste time and money getting deals done and then you get embroiled in disputes because 
you know, uh, people realize, hey, uh, this doesn't say what we expected. We don't understand it, and we get into fights. You know, I have some experience with this. Uh, one of the things I used to do is some commercial leasing document review where I would go through and we'd, we'd renegotiate some of the terms. And, and one of the things that would just be endlessly frustrating to me was just what you're talking about, talk, the copy-cut-paste effect that you put in there. And a term gets in there and nobody really knows why. It's just the way it's always been done. And I remember kind of coming through on a fresh head of, you know, just steam, just kind of like, you know, after a good night's sleep and just looking at the language, I'm like, I don't even know what this says. We went back and forth and I reviewed our memo points, kind of a memo of understanding that we had going on, going down, like here's the financial terms and you know, here's how we want to do you know, some of the square footage and everything. I was reading down it, down, down the line, I just like, this doesn't add up. You know? and, and, it, and I understand that there's certain traditional things that you do that give meaning to a contract. This is the kind of contract it is, but this was well beyond that. This was a legacy of terms being put in there. And, and I approached the, you know, the, the attorney that put this together for us, for the, for the company I was working for, and he says, well, we just kind of always did it that way. He said, that's just, that's a kind of a boilerplate that we have for all of our agreements. And I said, well, does it add value to this deal? And he hesitated. I said, well, what does it mean for us? Like, cause this seems to sort of stand in the face of the other terms that we had and makes, you know, understanding the other critical parts of the deal, the ones that we negotiated over a little bit muddy, you know, as far as understanding. So is this kind of the thing you're talking about? No, uh, that is utterly standard. Um, stuff gets into contracts and once it's there, it tends to stay there because someone ha would have to decide to take it out. And if you don't, under, you don't understand what something is doing in a contract, you might well think, gee, someone put this in here who, who probably knew what they were doing, and I don't understand it. It's probably due to some lack of knowledge on my part. I'm going to play safe and leave it in there. So there's all sorts of, kind of debris that just is, is, is built into contracts that makes no sense. And some of it, some of it is... Uh, I, it's, mind-boggling um, into oh, uh, during my session I discussed a book uh, a book published about the Perry Passu clause in sovereign debt contracts a couple of academics wrote a book showing just how no one had a clue what the heck that provision was doing there and they kept it in even when it created big problems but then there are, there's also just on an everyday basis there's something called the successors and assigns provision um, that though the contract is binding on and inures to the benefit of the parties and their successors and assigns, blah, blah, blah. I've looked at the eight possible uses of the successors and assigns provision. None of them make sense, so I've thrown it on the scrap heap. Nevertheless, through the magic of copy and paste, it lives on. It comes back in. Yeah, you know, it's just it's it's there all over the place. But I just uh, it's I, like I a just, zombie class. I just know coming back from the dead. Yeah, it, it, it'll be until we escape from the uh, the clutches of copy and paste we're going to keep perpetuating the 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 mistakes of the past well let's get into that why do lawyers do that you know for me it seems like the simpler the better I, i'm a big fan of plain language drafting where everybody understands I, I my goal when i draft a contract or try to write something up for a client is so that they understand what they're getting yeah. into so it's basically the same exact thing that we talked about yeah. maybe a couple legal ease terms in there just to add meaning yeah. to what the the nature of the deal is but that's it plain language otherwise and i also like to use charts and grids as as examples as to the concept by which we're agreeing you know certain certain concepts so ken why why is it the hesitancy? Why do lawyers have that hesitancy to pull those kind of clauses out? Because 
life is short and law is long. <laughs> Basically, we uh, people have deals to do, and they don't have the time to reinvent the wheel each time to say, okay, do I understand everything that's in this contract? Is everything expressed as clearly as could be? Instead, we rely, we rely on precedent contracts. Just we, people don't have the luxury of, of just getting a full education each time around with each contract. You, you just have to, you have to rely on what has gone before. It's a precedent-driven undertaking. But when what you're copying is dysfunctional, you're just perpetuating that dysfunction. So people have, uh, are, are understandably deferential to the precedent because they don't, if you're going to question the precedent, that means you're going to start questioning your superiors, you know, the partners at a law firm, uh, the people who work with you, the people who, who did the previous deals, you're going to have to start questioning everything. And uh, that's just, that makes life more complicated. So, so you just give everything the benefit of the doubt. Unless you're, you're like me, who I sit on the sidelines, I have the luxury, I, it's kind of my self-appointed task, to question everything. With the idea being that, okay, once we get contract language that, it's a re, that is a reliable commodity, we can start making sensible decisions. People can start using my work as a basis for making sensible choices. And ideally, um, vendors, publishers, law firms can start building good templates and ideally automating them so that the whole f process can be more effective. You move away from the copy and paste side of things. Well, I did read a little bit about that, how you incorporate some automation in there as, as part, in part necessary towards uh, coming to the, the conclusion of this frustrating process to make it more efficient. So let's talk about, let's talk about the automation part of the okay. contract drafting. All right. I'm second to no one in my love of contract drafting, but I recognize that reinventing the wheel is not good use of lawyer time. Um, lawyers add most value in helping with negotiation, devising strategy, doing research, not reinventing the wheel. It makes sense in a precedent-driven field to make that precedent kind of more readily accessible in a flexible sort of way. What you do, how you do that is with automated contract creation. You draft a contract by answering an annotated online questionnaire and making your choices in the questionnaire results in the underlying template being adjusted to reflect your answers. That allows you to capture customization way more effectively than you could ever do in a copy and paste world. So the idea is, Take the, take the mindless labor out of the process and allow people to get, get the drafting done far more quickly, far more cost effectively, so ultimately uh, the law firm end is able to, uh, in a you know, premium bill for that work, but the client ends up paying less ultimately, so everyone wins out. The law firm can get more work done. The client gets a higher quality product that it is paying less for. Okay, so if we were to break this down into two primary steps, the first step is to be mindful. Be mindful of the terms of art. Be mindful of the terms that need to go. Get those contracts boiled down to the brass tacks, only the important clauses in there. Um, I'm assuming that you're a fan of plain language drafting. Um, yes, I'm just careful of the terminology I use. 
I don't use the term plain language, plain English, simply because trans, you know, conservative, traditional transactional types are right. quick to suggest that it involves dumbing down. That's not the case at all. And to avoid that suggestion, I just refer to standard English, English as written by the average educated native English speaker. It's the same thing, but I just don't want to, I don't want to get into fights over misunderstanding terminology. Right, and, the, and also too, each industry's got sort of their own words and phrasing that means something in particular to an industry, okay. which is also comes up when a court reviews a contract. Well, the whole industry says it this well, way. Uh, yeah, so I, that's evidence that that's what you guys agreed to. So where well, you can, you need to align yourself with some of those industrial traditions. No, it's, it's actually, one wants to, um, well, there's no, sh there are no generalizations that you can make. You instead have to just fight one usage at a time. Um, yes, ter some terms of art are unavoidable. Uh, phrases like perfecting a security interest, those are terms of art that you just have to use. But Correct. you don't just ape language because everyone's using it, because everyone is using all sorts of ludicrous usages. You, uh, <laughs> okay. And, uh, and you don't say, oh, the courts have told us what this stuff means. Oh, it's tested. Well, um, I don't care ultimately what a, uh, what a, just as a general matter, what, uh, what spin a court gives on confusing contract language. It's confusing. I don't want to use confusing contract language even if a court has had occasion to look at it. I want to express the deal clearly in a way that isn't uh, susceptible to confusion. But you're ultimately correct that, that there's the two-step process. We want to make contract language that's a reliable commodity, and then we want to build it into templates. Uh, and, and so this is the mindless part. So the first step is mindful, you know, yes, kind of yes. sifting down to the essential languages. And the second part is being mindless, automating. Well, well yes, it's more a matter of um, allowing people to, to capture that the, the efficiency in that you're presenting them effective knowledge, you're giving them an annotated questionnaire that explains their choices, but you're not, you're not forcing them to go through the task of coming up with the verbiage. We do that task once, and we don't have to do it again. We let people make the choices. What kind of deal do you want? Okay, you want that kind of deal? Where he, well, here is the language to accomplish it. And the more people are used to to working with quality contract language, the more they, they, they realize how quality contract language works. And when the time comes for them to customize a contract, you know, to, to inevitably, you, you know, the, temp, the, the automated template can get you 80% of the, where, uh, the way there, maybe in a particular context, you still have to do some extra stuff. Well, the more you're used to working with quality contract language, the better your own bespoke drafting will be. So. so it's be mindful, so you could be mindless, but then again to be mindful. Uh, yeah, that's, hey, you're, you're in the communication business, so <laughs> that sounds beautiful. I know that I'm oversimplifying it, Kevin. It does sound like really good advice as far as, you know, contracts and, you know, getting good, uh, you know, obviously it's our job as lawyers to write proper agreements that people understand and, and uh, you know, that, 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 that agreement represents so much that goes on before. And unfortunately, for a lot of clients that don't get that kind of clarity, you know, just because they agree to it doesn't mean that it's enforceable. So, well, Ken, listen, thank you so much for stopping by. I know there's a lot more to cover. So I want to give you an opportunity to give a shout out to our listeners if they have questions, want to follow up, ask you about 
better means of contract drafting? Okay. How can they reach you? Well, certainly. Um, I'm alarmingly accessible. Uh, sometimes people will... <laughs> alarmingly so, huh? Uh, people will call me on my cell phone. I'll say, hi, Ken Adams. They say, what, don't you have people? You know, uh, how come you're answering the phone? Well, uh, you know, uh, no, I am accessible. Uh, you can... Uh, find my blog and my, my writings generally, my, you know, quote-unquote scholarship at adamsdrafting.com. The consulting side of things is at adamscontracts.com. And uh, that is, uh, well, where you'll find pretty much everything. I'm on Twitter. I'm, uh, I'm unhelpfully enough, known as ConciseD, K-O-N-C-I-S-E-D. But the websites will, will get you... Uh, everything you need in terms of uh, what I got on contract drafting and I have uh, just uh, I built up quite a lot of stuff out there and uh, it would be a pleasant uh, pleasure to engage with any of your listeners oh excellent well we've reached the end of the road for today's episode but I want to also thank once more time our, our guest here today for giving us some insight also want to thank our listeners for tuning in if you like what you've heard today please rate us in iTunes we'll see you next time for another episode of On the Road Legal Talk Network If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. Or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.